It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8. Favorite time of the morning. On AM Live. Indeed, it's uh, eight minutes past uh, eight. Good morning and welcome to the Forum at eight here on SAFM 104-107. We ask uh, this morning, what is the democratic South Africa's human rights record? 21st March, marking Human Rights Day here in uh, South Africa, the cornerstone really of our democracy. How much have we achieved in advocating and respecting uh, human rights? So we'll be introducing our guests shortly, but let's tell you that uh, the South African Human Rights Commission says most of the complaints... It has processed, dealt with administrative issues and equality. The commission is marking its 20 years with a two-day conference held in Midrand. Chairperson Lawrence Mushwana says the commission has investigated thousands of cases, as our senior political reporter Angela Bolowane tells us. The South African Human Rights Commission has had its hands full in the last 20 years of its existence, investigating a range of issues, including service delivery and racism. The Chapter 9 institution is marking this anniversary with a two-day conference which began on Monday. Chairperson Lawrence Moshwana said while the organization has a long way to go, it has had good success. In the 20 years of its existence, the Commission has provided individuals and groups with resolutions of their complaints and inquiries. The Commission has conducted over 30 investigations into structural systemic and systemic challenges to service delivery across the country. The conference will mainly focus on racism. This is because this has been the main issue facing the country since the beginning of the year. The Commission has also received an overwhelming number of complaints on racism this year. In the past few weeks alone, the Commission has received and is now processing an additional 168 complaints relating to racism. Even though racism has economic, social and political causes, we cannot afford to reduce our response to political and blame games. These incidences of racism sparked much debate on how far the country has come in terms of racism, also prompting calls for the criminalization of racism. Justice Minister Michael Masuta says his department is currently drafting a bill which could make racism and hate speech criminal offenses. The purpose of which is to create a statutory offense of hate crimes as a result of the unfortunate racism incidents alluded to above in which hate speech manifested itself. There is an attempt to also expand on on the draft to uh, include a specific provision dealing with hate speech as an offense. Speaker of the National Assembly, Balek Ambete, says land allocation and a deracialized economy remain central to tackling the challenges of inequality in the country. She says income trends were still reflective of the country's past and had to be addressed in order to diffuse racial tensions. We must insist that our economic growth path deracializes the economy and makes a fundamental break with ownership patterns of the past. This must also include the acceleration of the allocation of land. Unless we do so, reconciliation will remain shallow and the dream deferred. The second day of the conference on Tuesday will delve deeper into race relations and the role of Chapter 9 institutions in building non-racial South Africa. Former President Tabu is expected to give a keynote address. 
That reports by Angela Bolowane here in uh, Johannesburg. Let me introduce our guest, uh, Ms. Tracy Doig, who is uh, uh, Amnesty International's campaigner for Southern Africa. Good morning to you. Tracy. Good morning, Bongi. How are you? She's here in studio with me. And uh, Colette Letlojane is uh, the executive director of the Human Rights Institute of South Africa on the line. Good morning to you, Colette. Good morning to you. Thank you for giving us on Thank you, very, thank you very much for talking to us. At home, you can call us on 0891-104-208-34701. That's the SMS line at AM Live on SAFM. Our Twitter handle, Facebook, AM Live on SAFM. We're asking you uh, this morning, really, uh, what is the democratic South Africa's uh, human rights record? That's the question that we're asking you because uh, the 21st of March marks Human Rights Day in South Africa. This really is the cornerstone of our democracy and how much have we achieved in advocating and respecting human rights here in south africa perhaps colette on the line let me start with you just uh, okay colette has dropped on the line but uh, let me come to the studio then uh, tracy from amnesty international your understanding and your definition of human rights what are we talking about when we're talking about human rights Thank you, Bongi. The uh, human rights more broadly defines a whole range of rights that we are inherently born with. Mm. These rights are protected in the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights that all states have signed up to. And then there are a number of further international instruments that define the nature of our rights and how states, what obligation states have to protect and fulfill those rights. So it is as broad as the right to life, the right to dignity, the right to clean water, the right not to be tortured, the right to education. There there really is a a very broad range of rights that the South African Constitution and the Bill of Rights protects. South African legislation really does... uh, manifest a a protection of human rights. However, what we're seeing is that the fulfilling of those human rights are not always uh, very well done. All right, we'll we'll come to that uh, when human rights really are trampled upon in many parts of uh, uh, southern southern African countries, which is where you are focusing. But Colette Letlojane, the executive director at the Human Rights Institute of South Africa, how do you describe or define even uh, human rights? Well, thank you very much. From our side, we've seen a lot of progress made in terms of putting those pieces of legislation arising from enshrined um, provisions of the Constitution and the laws that are are perceived as very progressive, as the laws that uh, can transform the the, the country and also bring a lot of change in our communities. Because when the government took over from apartheid, one of the objectives was to address the imbalances, the economic imbalances of the past. However, what has been very, very difficult is the implementation to transcend all those policies into um, practical enjoyment by, by, by people who were marginalized or historically disadvantaged. There's still a lot of um, desertation, for example, and poverty and high unemployment. And many people from those communities still don't see themselves as belonging to the country because the opportunities that we have in some of the parts of the country, like in Kauteng, 
Johannesburg, um, Cape Town, and, and Durban, KZN, they do not experience them. Mm. So there is a problem of implementation, and there's a problem of actually making use of the laws, uh, applying them in our society. And why has it been difficult to to implement critical elements of uh, the human rights, of uh, a Bill of Rights, for instance? Uh, because when from from 1994, for instance, government placed a uh, you know an explicit premium on on transformation and a Bill of Rights and all these elements were at the heart of it. Surely uh, we, we should have started right there. Why is it difficult to implement some of them, especially the critical ones? This is where a civil society like ourselves comes in. We are a non-governmental organization. We look for resources to monitor enforcement of some of the rights. And we see the government not prioritizing some of the rights. We make every effort to engage the government, to work with government, to support them, because we are working from the society's level. However, there has not been a much uh, cooperation from the side of the government. Some departments, they are opening their doors, they are, they are you know, listening to us, we play a role together, we collaborate in some activities because we have similar objectives. However, some, the doors are closed, and I must say that uh, the way the situation was so bad between the civil society, you know, it's about the relationship between the civil society and the government, how to collaborate. Um, it's, you know, for us, the issue of lack of resources, lack of capacity, you know, it's, we can understand that, that if our government needs support from the civil society, we can always make ourselves available. But the problem is when uh, they, there's denial, there's lack of political will, mm. you know, to do. This is where the problem is. And the government, I think, is busy reviewing its relationship with the civil society out of the challenges that are so overwhelming. Because when the problem started, you know, they were they could have been addressed. And the more you leave, you postpone, you ignore, you create a culture of impunity. You create a very bad culture. And right now, situation has aggravated, and you need more resources. You need so, you know, many people to come in. The capacity is huge that is required. Now, we need to have conferences such as the one that the South African Human Rights Commission is holding, where it's taking stock of some of the achievements, the stumbling blocks, the lessons, and all that. The government also is exercising, is doing that, 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 that process. But we need to go out to reach communities, to reach people who have got nothing, who have not seen progress or developments, advancements that are made 21 okay. years from now. 0891104208, that's the number to call, 34701. We're talking about human rights this morning and uh, what is your definition of human rights? And, uh, uh, you know, what rights do you think, you know, you've been deprived of either by your neighbor, your society, your leadership, uh, executive, and so on and so on? I have uh, two guests on the line, Colette Letlojane, the Executive Director of uh, Human Rights Institute of South Africa, Tracy Doig, who is Amnesty International's campaigner for South Southern Africa. And uh, I want to ask this question, uh, 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 Tracy, you know, in Southern Africa, where you operate as Amnesty International, do you think that governments have uh, 
put in place legislative frameworks that will then uh, allow for uh, institutional arrangements and, and structures uh, to be able to deliver on, on the, those policy frameworks that they've set to deal with the issues of, uh, of human rights? I think the range of countries in Southern Africa is different. In South Africa, there definitely is a legislative framework. There's a very clear constitution, very clear legislation, and actually even clear policies a lot of the time. But as Colette references, there's not a a deep understanding on the part of the majority of South Africans on what their rights are and how they can claim them. People may know that they have rights and even what their rights are, but how to really engage with the structures that are responsible for fulfilling those rights, which are government structures. And there's also not a deep enough understanding, I think, of the the frontline government agents. So the mm. people in the home affairs offices and the police officer at the front desk of the, the real, the, um, the clear instructions that are contained in those policies and guidelines on how to fulfill and protect people's human rights and also a clear understanding of what people's rights are. And I think that as a country we could go a lot further if there was a deeper understanding both by people of how of what their rights are and how they should claim them and also from government, the people who work for government, on what their role is in facilitating and protecting human rights. Right. Perhaps we should also start answering this question, how can dignity be restored to uh, for all who live in South Africa? Because SAFM Midday Live uh, will be at the 20th anniversary conference of the Human Rights Commission in Midrand's Kalagai Estate. Join the team from 12 o'clock as uh, they ask this particular question, how can dignity be restored for all who live in South Africa? You'll also hear from uh, the people working behind the scenes about what it takes uh, to project, promote and monitor human rights. Rights. Join SAFM Midday Live today from uh, Midday, hosted by Dashan Modli. Let's go straight to the lines. Johanny, you in Clagstop. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning, sir. Uh, I think the panel you have today is a, is a, is a, is a better one, and uh, you cut it short. You cut most of us short because you go direct to the point. The problem we see of the human rights not being addressed in the situation of uh, service delivery. What somebody notices is that uh, service delivery, most of the people, they don't understand when you talk about service delivery. You give service to people, animals, environment, and plant. And some of, us, some of our people, we've done this for 35 years. We know how to do it, but it's very difficult to can advise others. But today, you got it right. Uh, uh, because of the situation of... Uh, uh, sharing of land, land distribution. Uh, I think if the government can immediately, because if something is urgent, you don't suspend it even if a month you have to get into. I strongly ag- agree with Balegambete, uh, um, as you say, what has been done since 1994, nothing has been, been done uh, so that uh, land can be restricted to all of us. They can start identifying municipal land, state land, and uh, in Pretoria, insolvent land and estate land, so that the land can be said to the people. That is where the crime is being committed. That is where I'm saying I'm afraid. What has been done failing to address imbalances between uh, 
the people of South Africa. That right. is a crime. I think I'm going to be shot. Thank you very much. You were indeed shot, Johannes, in Clackstop. Figile, you are in Cape Town. Good morning. Morning. I thank you guys for taking my call. I think there is a problem be- between uh, the police and the government because the human rights uh, SA doesn't respect the people of this country, most especially the poor voters of the country because the majority of those that are poor, they're those that cannot afford the lawyers. Let's take, for instance, if you've got a case against the state. The state cannot actually help you with a legal aid lawyer to represent you by means of trying to claim. But if you're a criminal, a criminal is represented by a lawyer from the human rights. And uh, if you're a, a, what's called a complainant, you've got a corrupt prosecutor that will actually uh, not defend you as a, a, a what's called as a, as a complainant or as a victim of crime. Mm. And let's take, for instance, again, in my own cases, whereby I've been complaining for some years now about the police abuse and unlawful arrest, because I believe that if I only had money, you see, if only I had money, I could have received justice a long time ago. But people like Nathan Tito ignored me and ignored the reality, most especially Mr. Anolamur. Uh, my brother, there is a problem. Mushuana. Lawrence Mushuana is not doing nothing in the okay. Commission of, sorry, what's called, of Human Rights Commission in SA. Thank you, my brother. Figila, thank you very much. In uh, Cape Town. Uh, Colette, let me come back to you. Let's look at uh, the the civil rights, really, that are being undermined. I mean, you were talking about, for instance, a, a frontline uh, 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 police officer who's taking uh, just a, a simple, straightforward statement from, from a victim, and they don't do that properly. Is that a, is that a human rights uh, uh, issue, really? Uh, but also when you look at uh, the... The Human Rights Watch, they're saying that government's inability to address critical socio-economic and political rights issues, uh, such as unemployment, corruption, and so on and so on, uh, really remain a concern for many South Africans. It is a concern. Um, the civil and political rights, these are your, your they call first-generation rights. Mm. We, were doing, we were making a lot of advancement in terms of offering uh, uh, the right to vote, you know, providing that kind of environment, giving people education. And there was a lot, you know, there was, we, had, we were making progress in terms of building political tolerance among political parties to converse and to, you know, mobilize uh, people to vote for them. And uh, that right is so intrinsic because uh, for, for, for associations as well, for ordinary people, for individuals out there to express themselves, even the journalists, even the media. Because if you do not have that right to communicate with your state, to participate in your country, then, you know, it becomes very, very difficult for them to to know what's going on on the ground or even to contribute towards the development. Now, coming to the economic and social rights, as long as the civil and political rights is undermined, is not respected, it becomes very, very difficult for people to, to, to even monitor service delivery. This is where you talk about the right to water, uh, where sanitation and, and service delivery like water has been consistently undermined. And all these protests that we have seen affecting our country for so many, many years now, you know, they aggravated from 2012, 2010 when we were even hosting the World Cup mm. up until now. People's dissatisfaction is consistently out there. The informal settlement is growing. And there were commitments that by 2012, 2010, we would have provided 
better sanitation for people. That's All right. what would have ended in formal settlement. Now, we are monitoring and we are calling the government to address this because if people do not have this right, the right to food, the right to work, then crime and all these problems that we have continued. All right. I want to come back because we have to take the news headlines right now. When I come back, Colette, and of course, uh, Trace, I want you to answer this question, really, talking about uh, provision of, uh, of uh, houses and uh, water and so on and so on. But also there's a challenge of capacity uh, in, in, in government. There, there, there's a problem of, of uh, money, for instance. We have to go out and borrow money. We are at the state that we are in in terms of uh, the, the, the ratings from the agencies, and we can't get as much money as we want so that services are delivered. How do you then uh, draw the line between the capacity and what's available and the need uh, that is out there. 25 minutes to 9, this is uh, the forum at 8, and we're talking about uh, uh, democratic South Africa's human rights record. Uh, we're not going to confine it to South Africa, we're going to the region as well, SADC, Southern Africa, and uh, uh, Miss Tracy Doig here in the studio, uh, Amnesty International's campaigner for Southern Africa. So I was asking this question between the two of you, um, let's start with you, Tracy, here. Uh, the purse, what government has, and the challenges, the services that need to be provided for. For instance, if you look in the Southern Africa, if you look at Zimbabwe, for instance, inflation wiping out uh, the fiscals completely and uh, but but there were demands also. People still wanted to live, they wanted sanitation and so on and so on. Same in South Africa as well. You know, the uh, finance minister will tell you that there's no money to do this and do this yet the, 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 the challenges are there. The services still need to be provide, provided for. So how do you balance the two, Tracy? And what do you see in Southern Africa? Swaziland, for instance, and many other countries. <clears throat> sure. Um, there's obviously always the reality of uh, resources when it comes to the realization of socioeconomic rights. But there's also very many rights that don't need a lot of resources in order to be protected. Mm. It doesn't take a lot of money for a police officer not to torture a criminal suspect or for a police officer not to use excessive force in a peaceful protest situation. There is an acknowledgement, however, that things need to get better and there needs to be a commitment by government to allocate and prioritize human rights delivery in the fiscus, in the budget, and a recognition that many human rights are not single-issue aspects. There is a number of, of human rights uh, delivery that require the coordination of a number of, of government departments and the need for government departments to work together to deliver. Take, for example, the right to health and the delivery of maternal health for rural women. This is not an issue that is a, only a health issue. It's a transport issue. It's a social development issue. It's an education issue. And so if government is really committed to the protection and respect of human rights. There is a need for them to prioritize working together and committing money to the delivery of those rights. Corruption is a massive aspect that impacts on the delivery of human rights because when resources that are allocated for the rollout of service delivery to marginalized and dispossessed communities is undermined by corruption or the allocation of those funds towards less urgent needs, then that directly impacts on the lives of everyday people in the country. Mm. And I think that of the governments in the region, there is too little commitment to the respect and promotion of human rights in the name of, oh, we don't have 
enough resources when if there was a more realistic look at their budget and their priorities. There's never an excuse about funding the army, for example. Exactly. But, uh, you know, setups like uh, uh, SADC, uh, for instance, like NEPAD, like uh, AU, should they be vocal about, uh, you know, uh, preserving human rights or you, you you getting a sense that perhaps even there in those structures, not enough noise is being made about protecting human rights, the basic ones that I'm talking about? Absolutely. Every institution and every gathering of governments and uh, policymakers should be very vocal about human rights. These are our, our fundamental rights that every human being that is born on this planet is inherently born with. So they, And there's not enough acknowledgement in our regional structures, in our sub-regional structures, about the importance that human rights plays and the importance that human rights plays to promote the dignity of every person living on our continent, in our country, on our planet. And we see that quite often these structures work as old boys networks in which there's more interest in protecting each other as heads of states from uh, the criticism and dissent of citizens Mm. than uh, actually being vocal and holding each other to account. All right, uh, Colette, I'll be coming to you shortly, but I've got to go to Tabang, who is uh, in Rodeport. Good morning to you, Tabang. Yes, good morning, Bongi, and good morning to your guest. Sure. Um, yes, Bongi, look, well, I must indicate before my children that I am an, I am a Pan-Africanist, but I think the, the part of the problem is the government having got its priorities wrong. The, the influx, the great influx of foreigners in the country there's no doubt now that it's putting a serious strain on the mega resources or the fiscals of the country. Um, some of these um, resources are now obviously having to be, you know, split in amongst uh, foreigners. For instance, in December, you'd look at the statistics at the little hospitals in Britain. The number of women who were getting those or who were being accommodated they were foreigners. So clearly, this is not sustainable by any measure. I mean, I think... That's part of where the government must get its immigration laws, you know, in order to ensure that these resources are expended on, on, on South Africans first. Okay. Because now you have people being telling you that people go back to, like, maybe Zimbabwe, and then they come back here, get ARVs, get whatever, and go back to Zimbabwe. So this is not sustainable. All right. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Tabang. And uh, Tracy, you, you, you'll answer that question uh, because it's uh, directly uh, talking to what you do as a Amnesty International, especially in the southern region. Chris in Johannesburg, good morning. Morning, Bongi. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I just want to first off say that I, am, uh, I work with an organization called Action Aid South Africa, a human rights organization. Okay. We've been working in a community in Mokopani since 2006. And in 2008, we uh, lodged a complaint with the South African Human Rights Commission in which we uh, pointed out that there were a number of human rights violations uh, caused by Anglo on this community of 32 villages and 65,000 people. They investigated the matter. They made certain findings. But essentially what they found was that these were issues that needed to be spoken about. So they spoke about it. They put in different forums and so forth. In 2015, we approached the University of Witwatersrand to do a study in the area to see what has changed between 2008 and 2015. And what they found was a deterioration 
are people, not only their living standards, but their access to food. Their land has been taken away. They're no longer able to farm. Um, in some villages, up to 100% of villages lost access to, to land. They don't have access to water. So in short, there's a huge human rights violation occurring there. And I wrote a report, um, which we're releasing in April, um, which basically points out that part of the human rights problem is not so much uh, problems of access to resources, but sure. it's the, the systemic nature of how human rights abuses are entrenched within our society. Um, okay. So I think that there is a, a, an important element that we need to take into consideration so that while we talk, our, our constitution is very clear about human rights, we have a number of examples where human rights are abused on a daily basis. And All our right. Human Rights Commission are just not up to the task. We've got you, Chris. Uh, thank you very much. I've got to move on to Mike in Lichtenberg. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Bongi. Bongi, uh, human rights are being abused on a daily basis in South Africa. And I want to think that most of uh, people who went to school, they can see this. The problem is uh, the type of government that runs the country and what they do. You know, Bongi, Bongi I'll tell you one point, and uh, people looks like people are not aware, particularly people of the townships. Bongi, when the ANC government got in, came, came into power, they mm. found that there was plenty of water uh, gushing out of taps in the, in, the, in the townships. When they got in, they closed the water supply purposefully, deliberately, so that they could then, with their other comrades, they could bring in the trucks and then truck the, 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 the water to the, for the people in the township because of uh, uh, running uh, after tenders. So there's water, uh, like a, a typical example, where I'm living in Lachtenberg, there are no dams, there are no rivers. Mm. We get water, our water from underground. And there are surrounding farms, and then these farms uh, have got sprinkle sprayer, sprays, uh, and they, 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 they water their, their, their fields 24-7, 365 days a year. But now you got told that there's no water, but sometimes the water just gushes out. Okay. And, and, and the government is able, they are even able to, 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 to buy trucks, many trucks, and then they, they, they supply water. And each one truck per month, if you can uh, uh, hear the price that they pay for, for each truck, you will be very scared. Uh, you will be, be, be surprised. Okay, we got you, Mike. Thank you very much. Advocate Mandula, I'll come to you just now. But Motala, you are in Durban. Good morning. Sabana. Yeah. Unfortunately, the prevailing system of individual rights places so much emphasis on individual rights rather than societal rights and often these individual rights impact negatively on the majority. For example, some individual rights have allowed an individual to own so great amount of land and its resources that which leads to the detriment of the majority landless people. Hence the necessity to curb the amount of land owned as unnatural resources owned by few individuals to extend meaningfully the ownership right to all equitably. And this is the problem in many countries and in South Africa in particular. So that individual rights should not over impact negatively 
on the majority as is happening in South Africa in the question of land and natural resources. Thank, Thank you very much, Matala in Durban. Advocate Sipo Mantula. You have dropped, but uh, thank you very much for making that call. A couple of SMSs, Bongi. Morning. Uh, what human rights? We senior citizens are treated with disrespect in the hospitals, clinics, SASA, municipal offices and home affairs by same staff or some staff, I guess. A pathetic pensioner. Uh, leave uh, the human right, but do the job for country to go forward. Human rights in South Africa is uh, like the myth of a TRC and Rainbow Nation. Workers in Marikana were killed for exercising the right to decent living wage. That's uh, Lutle Khamuloi. Uh, as long as human rights do not solve uh, what befell Africans uh, vis-a-vis loss of uh, uh, nationhood via loss of uh, our land, Africa, and the hands of uh, or at the hands of uh, Euro-Asian invasions, uh, that's Tswane um, there in PE. What about human responsibilities as well? That's uh, Colin. All right, uh, quickly let me take uh, Advocate Sipo Mantula, and then I'll come to you, uh, my guests here in the studio, uh, send, uh, Tracy and uh, Colette on the line. Uh, Advocate Mantula, Sipo Mantula, good morning to you. Good morning, Bongi, and to your guest. Bongi, I think auditing and assessing our state of human rights, we need to look at the resources and the political will. Has the government for the past 22 years really focused on capacitating the Human Rights Commission, provincial offices, and looking at regional offices? We are aware that even the Public Protector's Office has been curtailed to become just operating in the regions provinces but not really reaching out because i think the issue of human and people's rights is what we should uh, put across when we are looking at this month and finally going the role of universities i think it's very critical that we look at the youth and the academics in terms of looking at the research agendas what is it that we should be encouraging yes we can be litigating going taking matters to the court and the state but it is very important that the Human Rights Commission becomes the vanguard of the people's rights. And I think we are missing that point because commissioners, they don't even focus on their duties because they are there politically to be serving for five years. And after that, we have that gap of sustainability and even creating institutional memory because I think that is the area that we are lacking and even putting human rights through the media because I think the role of media is equally critical that it should go beyond much and emphasize on exposing the violations that okay. are in villages. All right. Thanks, Advocate Sipo Mantula. Uh, you were supposed to be my last caller, but let's talk, uh, quickly take uh, Emmanuel in Togoza. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Uh, we have a problem at our place about the councillor and the, uh, the uh, project manager on ours who's called it Toko uh, Novo. And then the, we, are, we went on court because of them, because they want, they want to evict, evict us. All right, uh, that line is dropped, but uh, let's come back to the studio now. Tracy, earlier on you wanted to comment on uh, 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 suggestion that was put forward by SIPA that the influx of foreign nationals in any particular country, in South Africa, for instance, uh, put strain on the limited resources. You wanted to talk specifically to that and many other issues. Colette, I'll come to you just now. Yes, thank you. I think that is a, a misperception um, that refugees, asylum seekers and migrants put an unnecessary strain on the resources in South Africa. 
actually the people that are coming to South Africa to seek international protection quite often and most often bring with them valuable resources, valuable skills. They contribute to the tax base of the country. They contribute resources and uh, they contribute to the development of the economic base of the country. So I think it's a very dangerous talk to say that uh, these people are coming here to take our scarce resources when actually most of the times they are people who are fleeing situation in their country that is either extreme poverty or violence and warfare Mm. and are coming to South Africa to seek protection. So that's that's one aspect. With regards to uh, the the point that was made around uh, big corporate uh, companies contributing to to human rights um, violations as was raised by Chris from ActionAid, that's absolutely something that that we see. The the, uh, large-scale violations of human rights by uh, the extractive industry, by corporates um, in their pursuit of uh, profit in against their workers' rights and the rights of the communities in, in which they operate. Mm. And that is something that is also of profound concern. For instance, in Guazul Natal, uh, uh, I was reading in the newspapers just this past couple of days that uh, there's a company that wants to explore uh, for gas, uh, a large part of KZN, and uh, communities are saying no. You know, but because there's money, there's capital. Yes, we need money. So how do we balance uh, that? Uh, you're talking about refugee, asylum seekers and migrants rights as well, which is very important. But let me go to uh, Colette because she's been holding out for a while now. Colette, let, let's look at where we are as, as South Africa. Have we really upheld the uh, the basic rights or are you getting a sense uh, that, uh, yes, much still needs to be done, but there are areas where we have really seriously, as a country, come short? We have come short in many areas. For example, we decided to as has been stated by everyone. All right, uh, I'm going to ask her to try and move around just a little bit because uh, that line is... Uh, uh, really failing us uh, there. Uh, Colette uh, Letlujane is the executive director of uh, the Human Rights Institute of uh, South Africa. In studio with me, Tracy Doig, uh, who is the Amnesty International campaigner for Southern Africa. Sorry, Colette, you are still making a point that uh, in many areas we've been found wanting. Yeah, I'm saying that. I'm sorry that I've got a deadline, but no, I'm it's all right. saying no, that it's improved, yes. the issue of, uh, you did mention that the issue of incapacity, lack of resources, and uh, in co- how do how do, how do we expect government to deliver under such circumstances? Mm. And uh, you have not mentioned that there was a self-inflicted challenges that they brought unto themselves, like fraud and corruption. If you look at the Auditor General's report, it will show you that although the government lacks some of the capacities, there has been resources that were taken. There was mismanagement of funds, funds that didn't uh, go to where they were meant to be. And uh, the, local, the, the local government as well, they were not able to produce um, unqualified uh, audits. We see that uh, out of 319 municipalities that were audited, only 30, it's about 9% of them that receive qualified audits. All these resources that were taken um, and, and irregular spending and fruitless or wasteful expenditure 
that was uh, recorded to be at 850 million, it could have contributed uh, to, to some of the challenges that the government is facing. And with the issue of capacity, um, the, the, there are some governments that are open about that. I know the Department of, of Women, they had approached us, they did uh, share some of their challenges, and we are working together. So if government is open to identify what are the weaknesses, what are the challenges, the civil society is always out there. The civil society is always ready to provide its time and the resources and capacity. So we should not be mixing everything on, on, the, on the incapacity. There are resources and the government should begin to um, do something about empowering and providing those capacities capacities inside institutions. With regard to um, the, the, the burden of, of the government in delivering socio-economic rights uh, due to influx from the SARC region, for example, I think we have mechanisms, we have treaties that South Africa and other states in the SARC have ratified. The problem of political will mm. is a challenge. And then also the brotherhood type of engagement where states cannot hold other states accountable. We have the, the Sadat Tribunal, for example, which was very uh, effective providing access to justice in Southern Africa. All these countries uh, that uh, Tracy was speaking about where uh, legislation, legal frameworks, institutions are, are not as effective as in South Africa, they relied on the SARC tribunal. It has been suspended, and to that extent, there's a new uh, 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 um, mechanism that has been developed uh, for, for, for that mechanism to, um, to create interstate access. It means civil society, NGOs, will not be able to approach the court because mm. that court, the tribunal was so effective it was holding all these governments, whatever matter uh, is rich or decision is made in one country, it can be enforced in other countries. So right. in South Africa, we want our government to impart its human rights policies, human rights experiences to enhance uh, in other countries so that all these problems are not burdened into South Africa as we see. But those countries, they are able to function and they, they have lessons, they have experiences from somewhere. But we should not be defending and saying the free and fair elections in some countries like in Zimbabwe, like what it is now. The more we say that, the more we're defending, and we are part of some of the problems that are experienced in those countries. But uh, uh, Tracy, you know, it's not just a civil society who say the, 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 the elections are freer and fair. Sometimes they will say the opposite. But the observers, the people who have been given responsibility by organizations like AU, UN, and them to go and, and monitor, and they come back and they say, but they were free and fair. It, it, do you think, therefore, that perpetuates the, the, the human rights abuses? Because the, the population will say, no, they were not free and fair, for instance. Absolutely. They, they has the lack of accountability within the, the African continent at the, the AU level at, of, as collectors of states holding each other accountable is quite alarming for the human rights protection of of the people of Africa. It's something we see with uh, recently with uh, South Africa allowing President al-Bashir of Sudan to leave the country in violation of a court order. It's something that we see in Burundi 
where the government of Burundi is um, not allowing other concerned African states to assist in that regard. It's something we see across the, the continent. And it really comes down to holding each other to account, both at the local government level, national government level, and then regionally and internationally. Laws exist, policies exist. It's how they are actually implemented, and it's how we can empower people of South Africa, people in South Africa, whether they're South African or not, and people on the continent to actually know their rights and to hold their governments and their policy makers and their decision makers to account. All right, uh, Tracy Doig, who is Amnesty International's campaigner for Southern Africa, thank you very much. Colette, in 30 seconds, our record uh, in South Africa, Democratic South Africa's human rights record, in 30 seconds. Well, our record of human rights, it's really not good. We have deteriorated and uh, we can't improve the situation because we've played such an important role at AU level, there are mechanisms that we contributed, the CARAP, uh, the Democracy Charter on elections and good governance comes to, uh, is all due to South Africa, and also the African Charter on the Rights and Welfare of the Child. The continent dedicated this instrument to South Africa's children who, who were on out, who fought against the uh, apartheid during the June 1976. Uh, we have NEPAD as well which South Africa contributed to what? Uh, in creating a self-monitoring for states. Sure. We can, you know, say to our government, encourage them to go back to where they started because we have very good uh, human rights programs, but they cannot just remain on ICAS. They need to be seen, to be applicable, to be responding to the needs of the people. And then also what Tracy was talking about in Burundi is very disappointing because... Nelson Mandela, our uh, democracy uh, icon, played such an important role in that country. Okay. And we, we should make sure that we sustain what he has already created. We got you, Colette. I'm going to have to, to ask uh, that we leave it at that. We've run out of time. Colette Letlujane is the executive director of the Human Rights Institute of South Africa. And to you at home and uh, wherever you are, thank you very much for participating.